history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. I'm Matt, here with Stephen. Hi, everyone. Wow, we got a great show today. But before we go there, what do you think, man? All this uh, success we've been having. You got anything you want to say to our listeners? Hey, thanks. That's it? Yes, thank you guys, really, thank you. It's them that make it, like, we do it, they listen and stuff, and move it around, and and put it out there, and that gives us nice reviews and stuff, and people will hear us, and what we're about. So, thank you. So, the history of the week. In 1668, the first horse race in America takes place. In 1954... RCA manufactures its first color TV set and begins mass production. When did you get a color TV? What year did you say that was? 1954. Uh, we got ours, I don't know, in the 60s, I believe it was. When they came out and were in the stores, we had a black and white that they had bought quite recent before this. Okay. Because they replaced their TV and got a bigger screen. And that wasn't good enough for Dad when he found out they could get it in color. <laughs> Back to the store they went. And they gave the black and white one away, and he put a floor model color in the living room. Do you remember what the price was off, off the I top of your head? I don't know what it was back then. But we had a color TV because he watched the hockey game every Saturday night, the Leafs. And you had to have a good TV to watch it on. When he seen color, well, that was it. <laughs> Ada, come on, we're going to the store. We're getting a new TV. She's like, we just got a TV like a year ago. He said, well, we're replacing it. Give my, it to your sister. My first TV was a black and white TV. Yeah, I had a black and white. Uh, with the antennas on the on the top of it. The rabbit ears. <laughs> yes. That was fun. In 1976, Washington, D.C. opens its subway system. In 1981, the U.S. Supreme Court upholds a law making statutory rape a crime for men, but not for women. Well, where's the justice in that? So, statutory rape is defined as, obviously, having some sex with someone who's younger. So, that means a female teacher could fuck a student. And it's okay. And it's, good, and it's, it's all good. It's all good. I don't agree with that. Me neither. Anyway, uh, happy birthdays go out this week to Reese Witherspoon, William Shatner. Oh, wow. Kyrie Irving. He's a basketball player. C.J. Perry, she's a female wrestler. Carrie Russell, actress. The Undertaker from wrestling. How bloody old would he be? Oh, he's pretty old. Yeah. The greatest quarterback of all time, Peyton Manning. Uh, Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory. Chris Bosh and Kyle Lowry, a couple former Raptors. Valentin Chimerkovsky from Dancing with the Stars. Lacey Evans, she's another female wrestler. Allison Hannigan from uh, the American Pie movies. Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. And one I thought you would like, Elton John. Oh, good lord, it's his due. Yeah. Wow. 
he must be up at age too. Yes. So guys, uh, I know you can hear me. I know my voice is not doing so well. You know, we've been doing a, a lot of uh, interviews this past week. We've been doing a lot of, you know, a lot of planning and a lot of, you know, just a lot, a lot of planning. We'll we'll leave it at that. I don't want to release any spoilers about the podcast. So I apologize in advance. My voice is uh, it's getting better, but I can still feel it, and I know y'all can still hear it. So today we're going to talk about. James Forsillo. Now, James Forsillo was a former Toronto City, uh, Toronto police, police officer. Oh, what the fuck is wrong with my brain? It's not working right now. He's a former Toronto uh, police officer, and we're gonna get into why he's a former Toronto City police officer. Former. Former, exactly. So. He was involved in a shooting of a kid on a streetcar. The kid's Hell yeah, he was. The kid's name was Sammy Yatim. That's Y-A-T-I-M. So, the death of Sammy Yatim occurred in the early morning hours of July 27th, 2013 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Yatim, who was an 18-year-old male, was armed with a switchblade knife was shot at nine times and was hit by eight of the shots, which were fired by James Fursillo, who at the time was a 30-year-old Toronto Police Service officer. After being shot while lying on the floor of the streetcar, he was tasered. Wow, good time to tase him after he's dead. What's that to do to bring him back? He later died from the injuries. No, yeah, think? No when you got eight bullets in you, you're going to live? And then get tased on top of it? That was to try to bring him back, I think. <laughs> the incident occurred after Yatim brandishing a 12 centimeter, which is a 4.7 inch switchblade knife on a Toronto streetcar, advanced, made it, I guess, made an advance on a passenger, also threatened other passengers, and exposed himself. The confrontation between Yatim and the police was recorded and footage of it was released publicly, prompting strong reactions across Canada. Let's stop right there. This is what needs to be needs to be avoided. I know this happened years ago, but this keeps happening. And what I mean by that is, okay, so whenever a video is released into the media, whether it's the Rob Ford smoke and crack video, or it's this video. Everyone's going to get in their armchairs and they're going to play armchair quarterback like they know what to do because they're an expert. And that's the strong reaction was obviously the online reaction because this fucking video was posted and had like a lot of views. It was it went viral. It went what viral, Stephen. I mean, he was shot eight bloody times, and he had a switchblade. Like, wow, I could see if he had a machete or something could really do some damage. So, on August 9th... Eight times! Yes, yes. Nine shots, he only missed once. There's more to the story, though. Mm. There is more to the story. I know you want to crucify him, but let's... You don't shoot someone eight times, I don't give a fuck what they're doing. Unless they have a, a, a gun in their hand, well, then that's a different story. He had a knife. A fucking switchblade. He had a knife. That's not a knife. 
and he had his dick in his hand. So what was going to swing out with that? It was going to hurt. No, listen, he had... He obviously was having some mental issues. Obviously. Obviously. And we're going to get to that. But this was at a time... This was right before... In I don't know where... How other parts of the world was. But this is right before the so-called mental health bubble burst in Toronto. I, I feel like... Well, me- it's always got to come down to something bad happening before they do anything. You're, you're absolutely right. The, the mental health bubble burst, and now everyone is, uh, you know, the standard, standard operating procedures prior to this were in place. And I believe that for the most part, they were followed. This whole mental health aspect was not, it was not something that people paid attention to or took seriously. And I know that's a horrible thing to say, but it, that is the truth. No. Nobody paid attention to it. No, they didn't. So, anyway, there's more to the story. So let's let's uh, let's go back to the research. On August nineteenth, two thousand and thirteen, Frisilla was charged with second degree murder. On July thirtieth, twenty fourteen, he was also charged with attempted murder. On January fifteenth, two thousand and sixteen, he was found not guilty of second degree murder and manslaughter, but guilty of attempted murder. Now, I'm going to explain why. So, apparently, there's like... So, there was nine shots. Yes. Okay. But they separated the shots. I think the first... I, I can't remember the numbers, so we're just going to go with what I, I'm going to put out there. I think it was the first six shots were one, and the last three shots were another. And the first six shots... He was cleared on. Even if though if five of those six shots hit the guy and he would have died, he would have been cleared on those six shots. The, the final three shots, they deemed that excessive, which is what prompted the attempted murder charge. Now, I fully believe had they not split the shots up and grouped them together, he would have got off scot-free. He didn't deserve to get off scot-free. The fucking kid didn't do anything wrong. He had a switchblade and his dick in his hand. What's he, he gonna hurt with that? He was th- the the streetcar was empty. There was nobody on it. I understand that, but when it started, there were they couldn't people. fucking just tase him. Couldn't just tase him, knock him down, and handcuff him and take him away. No, shoot him eight times. Stephen, how much police experience do you have? Like your armchair quarterbacking. No, because there's that was very excessive. Nine fucking shots. Think about it. So you say, you get on a streetcar, and you get your dick in your hand, and you take a switchblade, and you get shot nine times, and then they taser you afterwards? Don't fucking give me that bullshit. Okay, it's different now because the standard operating procedures have changed, is my point. But that is fucking bullshit. It, but it is what it is. When Listen, you have standard operating procedures, and yes, they're updated regularly, but if, if, if the... If, for the most part, the world isn't taking mental health issues seriously, and and it's not part of crimes and stuff so like. Do they think he was on drugs? I don't Even know. So, I why would they not have tased him first? I wasn't there. I don't know what they would thought. All I know is when he started, there were people on the streetcar. Yes, they and were they all luck- got off safely. And they soundly. were yes, they were lucky enough to get off safely. Lucky enough, he wasn't going to hurt anybody. 
You yes. He was acting out. But what? I wonder if the cops thought, well, he's got a knife in his hand. Maybe he's got a gun somewhere on him. What? It's the pants he's not wearing anymore because he played with his dick. Oh, that's right. He did have his. Yeah. That's right. You're right. He did have his. His dick was out. He could still be wearing his pants, and his zipper is down, and the dick well, is out yes, there. But, maybe I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell exactly, but but it just it seems so excessive. That's not you know that's nine shots and eight hit him like that's excessive. When they could have tased him a couple of times, that would have took him out because I'm sure he wasn't a big man. A no, big, he was know. a scrawny little exactly. So one eighteen year probably. Old. One taser would have took him out. And they could have handcuffed him and took him away. It would have been over and done with. And he'd still be alive and that cop would still have his job. You have a point, but you now also... He has, now he wants to be excessive? He's got no job, but I'm glad he doesn't. You you also weren't... And I hope they whoop his fucking ass in jail. He's already out, but you also weren't there that night. Don't care. Okay, so here's what happened. On July 28th of 2016... He was sentenced to six years in prison. That wasn't long enough. The next day, he was granted bail pending an appeal to the court's sentence. His appeal was denied, and he was granted parole after serving two years in prison. This incident was the only time an on-duty Ontario officer was charged and convicted in the death of a person since the inception of the Special, uh, special Investigations Unit in 1990. So, in essence, he only served two years. Yeah. Like, two years for taking the kid's life. Terrible. And the parents and the family will never get him back. He's dead. You know, like, and he does two whole years. Wow. I hope he got his, his doings when he was in jail. Because they don't like cops, so you, you know it's bad to wish things on people because well, it comes sorry back to you. Because that was uncalled for. I agree. To shoot him nine but times, but he's a cop, so I can guarantee you he was in protective custody. No. The inmates aren't stupid; they know how to get around all that. And craziness. I believe he did his time at the the South Detention Center. You know where that is. Yes, <laughs> I know where it is. Never been there, but I know where it is. So a little bit about James Fursillo. James Fursillo was born December 30th, 1982, in Montreal, Quebec. He is a second-generation Italian-Canadian. He was a constable with six years on the force at the time of the shooting. He graduated from a justice program at East Los Angeles College in Monterey Park, California, in the United States, and received a psychology degree from York University in Toronto. He worked as a security guard in Toronto and then was employed as a court services officer for three years. Up until Yatim's death, he worked as a patrol officer for three years. So he was only a patrol officer. Yeah, so I mean, but still, that's just too crazy. Like to shoot someone, like I couldn't even imagine. I, uh, it just makes no sense. They have tasers. What Had they tased them, like I said... I will He'd probably still be alive. I and will. The cop would still have his job, and nothing. None of this would happen. I will say this: they did surround the streetcar, and he was the only cop to shoot. Yeah, exactly. So, but it wasn't. Maybe he was having a bad day. But he didn't taser. It was a different cop that the tasered taser. the kid. Taser. Well, maybe he was trying to bring him back to life. You keep saying that. Like, geez, shock his heart to bring him back. So a little bit about. I'm sure, he was dead by the time he was shot eight times. 
So a little bit about Sami Yatim. Sami Adib Yatim was an ethnic Aramean born on uh, November 5th, 1994 in Aleppo, Syria. He immigrated to Toronto from Aleppo, Syria with his family in 2008. He had recently graduated from Brebeuf College School in North York, Toronto, and had told a friend he intended to focus on his education. It is unclear what provoked Yatim's behavior on the night he was shot. His family said that he had no history of mental illness or violence. He had, quote, moderate to moderately high levels of ecstasy in his system at the time of his death, as well as marijuana and a trace amount of cocaine, end quote. Stephen? That could have brought it on. Brought what he, on exactly? The way he behaved on the streetcar. So you don't... Like, so, I don't think he was, you know... So knowing this, are, are you saying that maybe it wasn't mentally mental health related? Maybe not. Maybe it was drug related. But regardless, they shouldn't have killed him. So at 10.30 p.m. on July 26th, Sammy Utim boarded a Toronto subway train and transferred to a streetcar on Route 505 Dundas around 11.45 p.m. Sometime afterwards, he drew his 12-centimeter switchblade knife and approached a passenger and told other passengers to remain on the streetcar, reportedly acting aggressively toward other passengers. Frightened, the passengers promptly tried to escape. Yatim then revised his demands, ordering everyone off the streetcar. He began to approach the driver of the vehicle, but stopped to shout obscenities to the crowd gathering outside. The driver of the streetcar remained at the controls until shortly before the police arrived. A passenger and witness said that upon boarding the streetcar, he initially noticed Yatim sitting at the back across from a group of teenage girls. He later heard giggling from the back of the streetcar, followed by a scream, then saw Yatim brandishing a knife as the girls ran past him towards the front doors. According to two other witnesses, Yatim seemed irate, mentally unstable, and oblivious to others' presence, holding his exposed genitals in one hand and a knife in the other. Wow. What? Just wow. Like, what the hell? But it had to be the drugs altering his brain because he, you know... Bad high? Maybe. Like, if he had that much... He had coke, he had ecstasy, he, you know, marijuana. Like, he had quite a mixture in him. He had quite a cocktail wow. running through his veins. I don't know. Police arrived at the scene. At the front of the vehicle, Constable James Fursillo of the Toronto Police Service called for a taser. Believing the situation, quote, could be contained. Well, yes, it could have. According to the videos of the incident, police ordered Eugene to drop the knife several times and warned him not to, quote, take one step in this direction, end quote. After Eugene started advancing from the middle of the streetcar towards the front of the streetcar, Fursillo fired three shots forcing Yatim to the ground. Forsillo claimed Yatim started to 
get up several seconds later, but subsequent autopsy showed the initial volley had severed Uteam's spine, rendering him immobile and unable to get up. Forsillo fired six more shots. Approximately 30 seconds later, Forsillo's sergeant, Dan Pravica, tasered Yatim. Okay, so I got that backwards. When I said in the beginning it was six shots and then three, it was actually three and then six. So the first three shots, he was, even though it says he severed his spine, he basically, if if he wasn't dead, he would have been paralyzed. Well, yes. He, that's okay. Like, like he got off. I'm not saying that's okay. I'm saying the, the, he was acquitted on that shit. It was the final six shots. And had they grouped it all together, I firmly believe he would have walked scot free. Oh, he couldn't, he shouldn't have. There's no way like, but he, what is the point of him doing any time? He only did two years. I don't understand if he was coming toward you. Okay. Instead of shooting him, tase him. It says he called for the taser. Well, where the fuck was it? That's Up a, someone's ass? That's a good question. It like, was it was later determined that eight of the nine shots fired hit Yatim. Yes. And the initial salvo of three shots had killed Yatim almost instantly. Now here's let me stop right there. Okay. So the the final six shots were considered uh, were char- he was charged with attempted murder. Uh, can I ask you an honest question? Seriously. If you fire three shots and you've killed somebody, how does your next six shots, how do you get charged for attempted murder? How can you attempt to murder someone, someone who's dead. already dead? Well, can you explain that to me? Because that, I, I don't fucking understand that part. No, and neither do I. But I'm sure it had to do with the courts not to keep him out of jail for, keep him, to keep him from going to jail for a longer time. I don't know. Um, I, I, I think that's kind of stupid. Like it, well, it was the whole thing was stupid. Really let me ask was. you something: If you kill somebody, you get charged with murder. You don't get charged with murder and attempted murder. No, attempted murder means you tried to kill somebody and, and you didn't. failed. Yeah, that's attempted murder. He killed him, yes. correct? Yes. So why was he charged with attempted murder? Because right. attempted murder is what he was found guilty on. And that's fine, like you know. I just don't understand it. I've yeah. never understood it. I don't, I don't understand how, like, it should never have happened. Anyway, Yatim was trans, uh, transported and later pronounced dead at St. Michael's Hospital. Like I, like I told you in the beginning, on January 25th, 2016, the jury found Fursillo not guilty of second-degree murder and manslaughter, but guilty of attempted murder. The jury accepted the defense's argument that Fursillo was justified in firing the first three shots but found him not justified in the second round of shots, thus guilty of attempted murder. The verdict meant Fursillo faced a four-year minimum sentence. Fursillo challenged the minimum sentence law and his conviction in arguments heard in May of 2016, and after the defense was granted a postponement to prepare on May 16th, the legal challenge began May 18th, expected to last two or three days, followed by the sentencing hearing over another two. The defense sought house arrest, and the Crown sought eight to ten years in prison. The hearing concluded on May 26th, and on July 28th, 2016, Versilla was sentenced to six years in prison. The Toronto Police Service also suspended him without pay. Well, yes. 
After one night in jail, Frasillo was granted bail pending an appeal of the court's decision to the Court of Appeal of Ontario. His lawyers were ordered to provide the court with an update on this process by November 9th. Frasillo's bail conditions require him to stay at the home of his then-wife and her parents because Frasillo was deemed likely unlikely to commit further offenses. His bail was extended in November of 2016. In early November 2017, Forsillo applied for his bail to be modified so he could live with his new fiance instead of at the home of his now ex-wife and have his new fiance added as his as a surety. Two days before the hearing for the bail modification was to be heard, provincial investigators found Frasillo at the residence of his fiance in violation of his bail conditions. Frasillo was arrested the next day and charged with failing to comply with his recognizance, which is a maximum sentence of two years imprisonment. The Attorney General filed an application with the Court of Appeal to revoke Frasillo's bail. Frasillo's bail hearing for the charge of failing to comply with his bail conditions was delayed pending the result of the application to revoke his bail, which was scheduled to be heard in court on November the 30th. In the meantime, Frasillo was remanded into custody and was in protective custody. See, I told you. I told you. Well, of course they're going to protect them. Or try to. Because he, w- because he is a police officer. And at that point, he was they didn't fire him yet. After what he did, he should have been put out population and let them have him. Then you're just, you're just encouraging murder. No, no, don't kill him. Just beat him every day. Then you're encouraging violence. Yes. I at least they're not killing him. I don't like know. Like he did to the young lad. I don't know that I would. The same wouldn't happen for Paul Bernardo. They would kill him. Well, maybe. But he was a sex offender. He was the cop shooting people. Anyway, the Court of Appeal for Ontario subsequently dismissed Fursillo's appeal on April 30th, 2018 and upheld the original trial-imposed six-year sentence. On December 6, 2018, the Supreme Court of Canada denied Fursillo's application for leave to appeal his conviction. In November 2017, when Fursillo was charged with breaching his bail conditions, also, then, in December of 2017, he faced an additional charge of obstruction of justice, which is a charge relating to allegedly committing perjury when he signed an affidavit under oath. The affidavit had been filed in court when Frasillo was seeking a variance in his bail terms and was awaiting a hearing to address the variance request when he was found to be living in in violation of his current bail terms by police investigation uh, investigators in November. According to the documents filed in court, Farsillo is alleged to have made, quote, false statements under oath, end quote, when he stated that in the affidavit that he was in full compliance with the terms of his bail and related house arrests. Farsillo was scheduled to appear in court on December 29th. So on December 29th, of 2017, Fursillo attended a bail hearing on new charges for, like I said, for obstructing justice and perjury relating to lying under oath. Again, his bail was revoked. In August of 2019, Fursillo was granted uh, day parole after serving 21 months of his six-year sentence. And on 
January 17th of 2020, he was granted full parole. So he's a free man as we speak. Is he? Yes. Is he really free? What do, what do you mean by that? His mind will never be free from you, what he did. So let me ask you, you think he's that... He's live with that now. You think that he... So do you think that he showed up at that night? You're not qualified to answer this. We're not qualified. But I'm going to ask Stephen anyway. So follow along. Do you think he showed up that night at that call ready to kill somebody? I don't think he was ready to kill somebody, but I think he had a bad day. Or, or a bad evening. Or do you think... Because or, something was bothering him. Or do you think that he was eager to try to prove himself? Or was it because of the, the fight with the wife and the new girlfriend? And no, no. Like no he, and, he didn't meet the new girl until oh, after this happened. Well, maybe him and his wife were having problems or whatever. God only knows. Maybe he had a chip on his shoulder that day when he went in. Because he certainly had something to shoot someone nine times. And just a little fucking boy. Do you think that he regrets it? Well, he goddamn well should. He's got to live with that for the rest of his life, that he took that boy's life. I wonder... Because he was having a shitty day or whatever the case may have been. I wonder if he's ever tried to... There's no one else pulled a gun but him. I wonder if he's ever tried to apologize to Sammy Team's family and if they would actually hear him. I wouldn't want to hear him. So, I'd like to hear that he had his nuts cut out. So you're telling me if, if, a, if a cop accident... Okay. Accidentally? That's different. Okay, we'll... we'll, we'll Table that word. I didn't mean yeah. to say that word. If a cop, if there's an incident and something happens to someone that you love, you wouldn't want that cop to at least apologize? I mean, it's not going to bring him back, but... Well, no. Like, I mean, apologizing exactly is not going to bring them back. But, I mean, yes, some of them feel bad. But I'm sure he's had lots of time to think about this. Had to think about whatever that chip was on his shoulder that day for him to pull that gun out and do that like it had to be something because he never did anything like that before it just it, it makes no sense here's my problem with and the boy wasn't really threatening like there was only him on mm, the streetcar you know here's my problem with this scenario like i was saying before cops have to follow the standard operating right. procedures and as a police officer they're supposed to tase first hold on is that what it says not shoot. Unless there's a gun involved in that, well, then okay. I can see you pulling Hold on. guns. As a police officer, you're hired by the city. They put a gun in your hand. Yes. Now, if you make a mistake, you deserve to go to prison? He didn't make a mistake. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. That was no mistake. If you are a truck driver and some boxes fall off your truck, and I'm using finger quotes when I say that. Because that's a saying, they fall off your truck, which means they go missing. Do you deserve to, uh, I could, do you deserve to get fired? Do you deserve to go to jail for you those missing to pay boxes? for the missing boxes is what happens. If you didn't have your truck locked up, then by all means, you should have to pay for the merchandise that's missing. Keep okay. Keep goddamn door closed and locked. Okay. So, what On if. your transport. What if the Toronto Police Service just fired Frasillo? If they just fired him? No. He killed a boy. He shot him nine times. It was in the... I understand what you're saying. But again, I'll go back to if they didn't separate the shots and they put them together. Regardless, whether they're separated together um, ten minutes apart, he still shot him nine fucking times. And he was the only officer that discharged yeah, exactly. his weapon. That's why I said he had a big chip on his shoulder that day. And he's going to regret that for the rest of his life. 
He's never going to be able to... No, he'll never be a, a police officer again. Well, he has a criminal record. Good luck getting yeah. a job anywhere. Exactly. He could be some skid road bum now. Who knows? I'd be interested to know. I haven't read anything... On him? No. Uh, no, I haven't read anything about this. So if anyone knows, please let us know. If the Samu team's family has filed a lawsuit against James Fursillo or the Toronto Police. Something like uh, how... Remember Chris Watts' family, they filed yeah. a suit against him so that he couldn't profit off the crime. Theoretically, if if there's no lawsuit, James Fursillo could write a book about it. He could have his own show or do a podcast or, or something. Uh, I don't know who would listen or who no. would buy the fucking book, but maybe they would. I well, mean, you got crazies out there that would. That's true. If Paul Bernardo was allowed to write a book, I firmly believe he would. You know? You got people that will read them. Well, I think we're we're almost done here. Do you have anything left that you want to add? No, I just don't think it, it, the whole scenario should never happen. It should never have happened. I agree. He should still have his job, and that boy should still be walking the roads. But we can't have that. So, so he should still be in prison. Is that what you're saying? Two years was not long enough for taking an eighteen-year-old's life. No, it was not. He this kid had his whole life ahead of exactly. him. I will. I will agree with that. But it's it's. The standard operating procedures I know, that I have the issue with. It's, you know, but... I tend but, to... But it takes stuff like this to happen before they change things. I agree. You I know, agree. Something bad has to happen in order for something good to be come out of it. I agree. Look what happened with 9-11. You know? All, every, the whole world changed. You know? Like, I agree. Well, I think this is a good episode. Yes. So, if you guys like it, let us know. We're on TikTok now. Yes, we are on TikTok, this time in history. Guys, remember our hashtags. Hashtag time to push back. Push back against governments and schools. And in this particular episode, police, also employers and other agencies. Hashtag fuck CPS. And hashtag every child matters. Guys, let's get the word out here. Let's let's accomplish what we want to accomplish. Let's... Tell survivor stories and let's end teenage suicide. But until next time, you're listening to This Time in History. I'm Matthew and he's Steven. Peace out.